Hey everyone, my name is Dara and welcome to A Chronic Entrepreneur. In 2013, three months after my business Byzantine Design opened, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. From my hospital bed, I searched the internet for stories of other business owners who also had a chronic illness. I searched for months and found very few good news stories. So in 2018, I decided to create the site I was looking for. And in 2021, we've relaunched the website with over 50 stories and also launched this podcast. I can't wait to share these beautiful conversations with awesome humans who are achieving incredible things whilst also thriving with a chronic illness or condition. Thanks for listening. Today on the podcast, we have JL Keys. She is a passionate advocate for those experiencing eating disorders. She's a mother, partner, secondary home economics teacher, and reality therapy certified counsellor. She also enjoys playing piano, singing, and pursuing a range of creative outlets. Her mission is to share acquired knowledge to assist individuals in understanding the strong connection between their life story with particular reference to relationships and their development. To see individuals become powerful, respectful, kind leaders in their own lives and role models for all with whom they connect. Welcome to the podcast. Let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey. Like, were you an entrepreneurial child or were you, like, is the entrepreneurial journey come to you later? Because I know you're a teacher as well. So, no, my entrepreneurial journey started only probably three years ago now. Um, So having been a secondary teacher, home economics teacher, and I was getting to an age and a stage where I was really fed up with um, being a home ec teacher, which means doing food orders and setting out food and cleaning kitchens and running around like an idiot all day and then coming home exhausted. And I could see that longevity of contracts of teaching weren't going to come my way anymore because the younger generation were taking over. Yeah. Um, so by choice now, I do relief work so that I've got an income coming in while I'm developing a business. So, and very, very, very blessed to have um, Henley High School uh, to connect with Henley High School about six years ago. And um, when you do relief and only relief, you sort of work your way up the chain. So you're almost first on the list for a call. So I'm very, very lucky to have it in that way. But also the students, I don't have behavioural issues. It's very, very cushiony and very easy to go into that school. So that part of my life was unfolding and developing, but I could see because of how my life has gone and not owning a house at this age and still renting and just the different elements of how my life has gone, I needed to create an income that will see me through. But I also was encouraged by people around me to share my knowledge. I was encouraged to write my story and get my inspiration or my learning and everything out there for a public that would hopefully benefit from that. Um, But also, how would I actually do that? So the idea of well, what can I do? And online courses was a big thing, you know, and they still are. But back three years ago, it was everyone seemed to be doing things online and presenting that. And that was generating not only an income, but it was generating a platform where you could share your information more widely and globally as well, if you want to go that far. So I took an interest in that development. And three years ago, um, a group called Fempire, which is a women's coaching group based in uh, Perth, were coming to do their free presentation on a particular day. So I enrolled and off I went to listen to, as a coaching group, what they could offer me as a person starting out a business, you know, at this age. And um, at the end of that presentation, I approached the lady who was running it, uh, Marnie Lefebvre, and I said to Marnie, this is what I'm wanting to do. My bandwagon, my soapbox from the life that I've led is helping people understand that the relationships that we enter into, you know, relationship connection can make or break us. And I've spoken about this, you know, at a, um, at a seminar and got really good reviews back. And I can see a real need that how we relate impacts. And I can see how it um, influences mental health development and just health issues throughout our life, you know, from the get-go. And that was my main drift. And then I talked about having an eating disorder. Anyway, we came down and said, well, let's look, let's start with eating disorders. So uh, JL Keys Anorexia Unlock was born. And I sat down from that point on and I engaged them as coaching for that next 12 months. And I sat down and 
and began to learn all about business and what that actually meant. And um, I wrote my seven programs and I wrote my book and I did all of those necessary things and developed a website and, you know, engaged Sally from Sally Beaupet from uh, Perth doing that for me and did all of those things to start to begin to get what I feel is a really important message out there. So that was my introduction to the entrepreneurial world. And of course, you meet other women along the way because you're just involved in a women coaching group and you hear what they're growing and what they're developing and how they're doing it and how they're doing their social media and all of those aspects that tend to come with business now. So that was the beginning and I'm still still learning. I'll be learning for the rest of my life, but you know, still learning about how do I actually get now noticed how do I say, hey, here I am. This is what I've got yeah. to offer. Would you like to come and see me? So that's the stage that I'm at now At um, after two years of doing all of that. There has been a delay this year. I did a rerun, met a lovely a lady called Alicia Young and did a rerun of the book. And that's taken a lot longer, but I've learned a heck of a lot from her. So I've just allowed connecting with an audience to sort of pass me by, I guess, for this 12 months. And we'll sort of get back on track in, in January. So. Yeah, hopefully that answers your question. It was at the encouragement of a lot of people to um, put my wisdom out there and then, okay, how can I do that? So, yeah. So before this, no, didn't think I'd ever do something like this. You didn't feel that you're, you never wanted a business. Some people grow up wanting a business. So it's interesting when, yeah. Yeah, not, not wanting a business. Well, it just never sort of came my way, I think. Uh, when I did my series healing in my late 30s and I met Joan Hookstad who practiced reality therapy and choice theory and that was my turning point. I know when I was going through that and then I went and became certified in that area, Joan kept saying to me, you know, you're going to be a leader of change, don't you? She was a very spiritual, intuitive woman. You know, you're going to, this is going to be your life. You know, you're going to do this. And I thought it was perhaps as a counsellor up, you know, in secondary colleges or schools because that was my that was where I was placed as a teacher and I didn't foresee that it might be um, different to that and it was just the frustration of not getting out there and not being seen and not being heard and all of those things and then this idea came to me about how about creating it through an online course creating a course for people to do and and that was the initial thought that then saw the rest grow and develop. And as the world works, you know, different people were then turned up, oh, why don't you do this? And what? And you, oh, next thing you trigger off all of these people coming in to support that initial idea and help you grow in that direction. So, well, that's when the universe yeah. comes and tells you you're doing the right thing. You're on the right track. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And um, then it becomes an interesting journey. Yeah. <laughs> So how does someone with an eating disorder end up being a home economics teacher? Um, Well, like, isn't it like a, yeah, like, did you start off being a home economics teacher or was it like, did you just want to go into teaching or was it a, Um, I, you know, the age that I am way back then, you know, what career do you want to do? Mm. I don't think you give it much thought. Um, You just, oh, and, I think the ideas of careers were quite narrow in, you know, you could yeah, it was like nurse, this teacher. This. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Women didn't have many choices. Yeah. Hairdresser, nurse, teacher. That's, that's about it. Mm. You know, and because I was good at sewing and because I was a good cook, someone said to me one day, well, why don't you be a teacher of home economics? And I thought, okay. So I went well, through, no. I went off and became a teacher of home economics, but um I became anorexic at the age of 15. So I was already anorexic, you know, when I went to teacher's college and through those four years of teacher's college, I was anorexic in the background. Mm -hmm. And, but the two lives for me were quite separate. And when you're experiencing an eating disorder, you don't, you just think that's how life is because no one else is telling you anything else. And you think that everyone else is living the same way as you. Until one day you see that they can do that and they can do that all in one day. And I'm thinking, how the heck have they got the energy to do it? And you begin, the light sort of slowly goes on. You go, they can do that, but I can't. But I was an athlete once and I won everything. I got every blue ribbon that I ever fronted up for. And I set records and I can't do that anymore. So slowly the light went on that there was something different about me and my approach to life than it was for other people. 
So, you know, I was being this home economics teacher, teaching nutrition and doing all that. And I was adopting nutrition by eating healthily. <laughs> I just wasn't eating enough of it <laughs> in the right amount, wow. you know. But having said that, when at the age of 24, I was then in Victoria and she taught at Sunshine Tech. And one of my work colleagues had become pregnant. And she said to me one day, Jenny Lee, I want you to come to the doctors with me. And I thought, why? You're a big girl. Do I have to hold your hand? <laughs> you know, on this, okay, I'll come with you, Inga. But she had already teed it up. And so when I arrived, I ended up with her doctor. And together, they introduced me to the idea of having an eating disorder. <gasps> and I went, well, what are you talking about? And um, because Inga had become quite a friend at that stage, so she was observing things. And yeah. perhaps without any conversation, I don't know, but she was perhaps doing some research on my behalf. And that was the way she handled it. It was a brilliant way of handling it um, because I didn't fight it. At that stage, I was just like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. So then I was referred to a psychiatrist down in Geelong and went into his rooms and he gave me paperwork, headed anorexia nervosa. And I looked and I identified straight away. But I also experienced tremendous, tremendous fear. And unfortunately, back then, that psychiatrist, what he needed to know with the information I have now is the next question should have been, Let's talk about this fear. Well, let's unlock. Let's unpack this fear. What is behind? What's driving you? Mm. Why are you living in fear? He never did that. It was just put on weight. All will be forgiven. Once you put on weight, you won't be having eating disorder anymore. Your weight will be restored. You'll be able to be an athlete again. Everything and magic. Happens. You'll and be cured. You'll be cured. And by the way, take this antidepressant along the way because you need it. Wow. Well, you don't ask the question because... You don't know there's another way because this guy you're paying a lot of money to and he's done all this learning on my behalf before I walk into his surgery. So he must know. What so I'm what doing. decade was that when you were? Uh, that was back in the late, early 80s. Early 80s, wow. Yeah. So I did put on the weight because I was bullied to do it, basically, but I didn't heal. Um, there's no healing. Yeah, was, wow. I gradually put on the weight and got the confidence that, you know, all of those, and that's probably for another eating disorder podcast, you know, all of the behaviours that I brought in to keep me as thin as I was and flat from hip to hip and all of those little parameters I built into my life, as I gradually realised that I was putting on weight and I wouldn't, you know, balloon out and all of those fears I had, I gradually gained the confidence to eat normally. And that was something I really did in the dark on my own because no one was there to guide me. But then what filled its space was uh, chronic fatigue, debilitating migraines, uh, up against the wall for two days, pounding and just wanting to cut my head off. Um, OCD, eventually when I became pregnant, that was just a nightmare, life for about 10 years. Suicidal depression, eventually joined me where I'd line up the tablets and say, I'm out. And then look at the photos of my children and go, I'm staying. <laughs> and if yeah. I didn't have children, I don't believe I'd be here talking to you today. So, yeah, I got rid of the eating disorder, but then all these other illnesses joined me along the way. So the trauma's now, not healed. That's yeah. Right. But even at that stage, I didn't know there was trauma. I didn't know anything about all of that side of it. No one was telling me. It was just fix up your physical body. So having been a home ec teacher, I was sort of one step ahead. And that was a saving grace at the time because I went back into my nutrition and I, I really looked at nutrients. And, you know, so I supported myself nutritionally and all of those things, which probably kept me going to a certain degree. But it didn't bring the healing that I wanted. But I was, I was going to naturopaths. Anything that was uh, spoken to me, I would front up at the door eagerly awaiting for, you know, this magical whatever, and I'll come out of this and be able to get on with my life. But it just didn't happen and until I was 38 years old. So um, there were a lot of pathways that I went down which were just took all my money <laughs> but didn't give me answers. But in fairness to all of those people, we weren't looking in the right place. They were doing the best they can with the yep. body and the physical symptoms I was presenting, but none of them were asking the right questions. Why? Why? Not who are you, but why are you? Yeah, what why happened to you? you? What yeah. happened? Let's look at your thinking and the associated behaviours and 
what your physical symptoms are telling us and let's really unlock your life and look at what's happening for you. And as I said, it wasn't until I was 38 years old that that idea was presented to me and then the light started to go on. Yeah, so I wasted a lot of years. Well, I don't know if you wasted them, but, you know, you're still here. Yes, I am still here. And you're doing the work. Yeah, yeah. I think when you get sick, I do the same. Like you're looking for the ultimate health. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily exist because you compare yourself to people who aren't sick and you look at them and sick isn't overarching I'm talking about people with chronic illness like I'm not you don't necessarily have to be ill at the time but with overarching like my body doesn't work the same as someone who doesn't have a chronic illness but I expect it to and I expect to be able to heal it and have this magical healing when I what I need to do is manage it that's right and that's what I'm still having to face I, think. I don't think it ends um, <laughs> no I don't think it does and because yeah and you know it's interesting you say that because it's only been in the recent weeks that that's really come to my attention I think I still held out hope mm. that um, the depersonalization that I live with and the level of tiredness will have its end and I'm realising now that I have to probably change my mindset and say, uh, not this is as good as it gets because that's a putting down and then a ugh, um, but how can we work with this now moving forward? And, yeah, how um, do I manage it? How yeah, do I How do I manage it now? And for me, it's been a disappointment. A couple of years ago, I decided to do a, a Holosync meditation and um, I don't know what happened with that, but I, every time I did it, I would get a lot of pain generating in my head pain spots would come up and really pain and I would get really runny eyes and I'd be so tired afterwards that I had to stop it but and I've never gone back and been the same again so for the last three years it's been why did I do that what kind of meditation was it it was a holosync it was um you know earphones and then the sounds and (sighs) all of that and I thought well this will perhaps be the final ending of getting rid of whatever's hidden underneath still. And instead it took me the other way. So I had reached a point in my life where I lived a normal life. I just had a normal life, normal energy. I was depersonalized and I couldn't work out, you know, depersonalization if you're not, you know, for listeners, if you're not quite sure what I'm meaning by that, it's a feeling of not feeling like you're on the planet or present in the room. And I functioned like that since I was 22 when I went on the pill. And no one could give me an answer for it back then. They just said I was stressed and I went, well, not really. You know, I've just taken the pill and everything's changed. And I wish back then they said, well, get off the pill now. Um, But I think that did some chemical imbalancing back then. And then for some reason, this type of meditation took me backwards. (laughs) And um, so I've been a bit cross about that at times because I think I went into it hoping. But... um, but having said that, you know, I have sort of acclimatised to that and gone, yep, I'm still living, you know, I can go to school, I can live a normal life um, and I just have to sort of get on with it. So why am I business saying people can heal? Well, what I mean by that for me is I want people to, I want to get people who are, have experienced eating disorders right from the get-go so that they're not still doing it six years down the track, seven years down the track when it gives their bodies a chance to be depleted and not return and restore you know i want to get them in that first six months but you've still got an opportunity to get out of here and restore your failing body let's do it now not you know i still hear of people oh no she's still got an eating disorder how many years 10 years seriously come on we don't need to be doing it for 10 years you're not going to the right place people and that's where i want to nip it in the bud and i have i believe i have a lot to offer you know at that end um yeah, I'm probably getting off track here now. No, no, that's as, all right. <laughs> as we've decided in talking beforehand that there's just so much to this area of our lives when we end up chronic, um, we do learn a lot and then it's like, oh, let's nip this in the bud. How can I do that? And that's The lived experience is huge it's and the learnings and the what you don't want other people to be taking. Like it's, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, and you can see and other people go, oh, 
don't don't you get what you're doing and no they don't because I was that person once and mm. you look at life as it's been presented to you and that's the only filter you have until yeah. you're given a new one and that's what Joan Hookstad who did reality therapy underpinned by choice theory she gave me a new way of perceiving and connecting to life and in doing that I opened up a whole oh my goodness and now you can see this and you can see that and well the other people can't because they're still in it and they haven't been privileged to have the education that I did at that time what is reality therapy and underpinned by choice therapy what is it like (laughs) Um, this is a therapy that was um, created by William Glasser and he was a American psychiatrist and he went into psychiatry and could see this need and so developed a different way a different format and um, framework to work with for counsellors and that to work with with people and so it is looking at the realness of your life and let's not skirt around this let's get to the nitty-gritty the corner of it look at the realness so let's look at your thoughts you know what are you thinking how is that impacting your behavior how is that influencing the emotions that you currently carry and those three together how are they influencing the physical symptoms that you now carry how are they feeding those physical symptoms so I began to look at each of those yeah and of course fear come up hugely and then all the different little areas of my life where I was fear driven my thinking needed a complete overhaul because I had this strong religious upbringing strong family cultural controlling um, upbringing that gave me the thoughts that I had that created the way and I filtered and perceived the world around me so an eating disorder wasn't surprising when it came in at 15 plus the sexual abuse as well but all of those take the sexual abuse out and I think I would have still ended up in the same place you know so we look at that we then have a really close look at our wants and our needs and the wants are the things that we want in life and really love to have and probably have to work to get them. Now go out and get a job so you can have those new shoes or clothes regularly or go out to that restaurant and dine. And you can live without them, but you really like to have them. And, you know, they sort of um, give meaning to your life, give happiness and all of that to your life. So, you know, Joan helped me look at my wants and do I have any, uh, all my wants, do I have anything here that's bringing joy and happiness? Mm, Probably not. And then you look at your needs and for reality therapy, we look at five different areas of need. And um, one of them is love and belonging. Do you have love and belonging and unconditional love and belonging in your life? Zero for me at that age. Um, Fun, is there fun? Is that part of your life being addressed? Why not? Why aren't you having fun? Well, how can we introduce it and bring that in? Freedom, you know, do you feel free? And freedom is, are you free within yourself to express who you are and be who you are? And are you being accepted for that authentic person? so I certainly wasn't I'd caged myself into the voices of many and lived according to that uh survival and survival is you know food and water and clothing and all well I had that I owned a home at that point in time I had clothes I had money I you know survival was sewn up and then the last one oh power nearly forgot it and we don't want to confuse this with you know are you a powerful controlling person it's an empowered person are you empowered to be the person that you are and not be trodden and walked over and all of those things and cause empowerment for me just didn't exist either. So I had a lot of work to do in each of those five areas to bring them back into balance for my life moving forward. And then the big one at the end of that is relationships and looking at the relationship I had with myself, how, how I felt about myself and um, the relationship I had with different people you know starting at the ground level with my parents my extended family and then the other relationships that came into my life as I grew you know the friendships the relationships the men the person that I married you know all of those relationships how have I allowed them to influence my fears and my anxieties and my OCD and my suicidal depression and all of those things you know how much had I given my life away to other people therefore at 38 walking in at 38 who was in control of my life all these other people were they weren't they weren't living there they weren't physically in my space but they were you know the people in my life yeah Yeah. they're there in my life so that's what reality therapy looks at and I've never had that presented to me before to really look at your life and look at every aspect of it and then, of course, you know, when you work, when I was working with Joan, 
you know, whatever came up, we would work that through and talk about. And then you come out with your plan at the end. Okay, this is where choice comes in. Okay, you have some choices here. How can we begin to um, null and void this impact or change it or live it your way or whatever the decision, depending on the topic that we're talking about. And so you might come up with two or three approaches that you think you could do it this way. And then you evaluate each and then you go, I'm going to try number two. (laughs) We're going to do that. So then you go away and you try number two, whatever that looks like. So you begin to stand up or you begin to do whatever. And then you come back the next time and you reassess it. Did it work? Were you able to do it? Did fear stand in your way again? What happened for you when you did that? Okay, so shall we try step number three instead? Or shall we modify two? And, you know, so then, and what you're doing is you're empowering your, that person. So I was being empowered. Joan wasn't telling me. She was giving me, well, what options are you having? Do you have? And I would come up with options. Then she might say, I'm wondering if you could consider or would like to consider blah 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 and if I agreed I would if I didn't I didn't and so she wasn't feeding me lines of what I had to do she was feeding me knowledge that I she was empowering you and empowering me to become the leader in my life and how long did that therapy how long did that all go on for oh gosh um I sort of came and went from it a bit yeah uh, because that's just how it goes when you've got a really big story as too many of us do have and I'm one of those you know I might work with her for six months and you just have a break yeah need a break and I was a single mum by now as well uh, with two children that did everything and they were budding performers and any parents out there that have children that are budding performers you're at that studio every day because you have to and then you're making all of those costumes and everything like that so I had a very busy life and so I would go away and then I would come back. Breakthrough was a really hard thing to define for me because I think it was such a gradual process yeah. of realising, hang on, I don't think like that or I don't do that. And I didn't journal, you know, I should probably be sitting here with my journals now to look back and, and I could pinpoint a few things, but I didn't do that. Um, I just sort of got through, got through, got through. And it, oh, I really can't answer that question because... It was so gradual in. Yeah. Um, we had 38 years of. Going. 38 years of. of that, story you know. to unravel. Yeah. yeah. And um, I guess, you know, the hardest thing that I found was getting rid of controlling men. And for anyone who chooses to read my book, you'll see I'm up to man number five now. I'm up to man <laughs> number six. Why can't I get rid of these sort of men? You know, it's a bit of a laugh sort of throughout the book. But they were a measure, I guess, of how far I'd come, you yeah. know. And it wasn't until that last one. I just really fronted him and I just really let him have it. And I thought, at last, Jenny Lee, <laughs> get rid of it. You learned the lesson. Men. I yeah. the lesson. And, and the fear, uh, you know, if I stand up, I'm not going to be loved. I mean, that was, a, that was the hardest one for me yeah. is letting go of the fear of not being loved and liked because that was what was slammed into me as I was being abused. If you tell, you won't be loved or liked. And, um, yeah, all of those messages that took a long time. And of course, when I went to school, because I was the minister's kid and we shifted every three years <laughs> to different schools and I was straight away the top athlete and the top academic, I really didn't endear myself to anybody. And so I was the isolated kid in the artist's world. So love and belonging just wasn't available to me at any time throughout my life. I spent a lot of time hiding in toilets and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, it was a very, that was the hardest one for me to let go of because I'd had so much rejection in my life and now it's just like you know this is why it frustrates me people will see the folly in the fears you know they they really don't exist but they are so real and people I've just I know I've had some counsellors in the past say oh but you can just get rid of that just you know no you can't then I feel like saying to that lady you obviously haven't lived in fear because it's as real as real and um, it is so hard to shift so hard to shift and and come out the other end and uh, that took a long time and we spoke about this before we started recording but how do you think like childhood trauma manifests into illness later in life like it's it's something I'm like I haven't spoken to anyone that has a chronic illness that doesn't have childhood trauma Mm, yes yeah what's your theory I know my theory yeah my do you want to share your theory (laughs) or have your listeners heard it um 
Mine's just unexpressed emotion mm. that if you live in a family where your emotions aren't valid or you're not taught how to express your emotions, you still have them, but you can't express them. You can't let them out. Yes. So they fester and they fester and they fester and through that festering and then other life choices, you know, like it's not just all that, but other things that happen in life. Like if you, like I had glandular, I had cytomegalovirus, like all these things, not just genetics, but medical stuff. And then eventually if you don't do anything about it and you don't express those feelings, it manifests into illness. Yeah, so, yeah, thank you. I That's it. my theory. Um, yeah. <laughs> and mine is probably very similar, I think, um, where I've got to over a number of years is realising and understanding that unresolved emotions, unresolved issues, so for me the sexual abuse, and not being able to express that anywhere. And not only that, but when I did try to express it, getting shut down again. Yeah. and not being heard and not being listened to and no one giving me a different way of framing that I'll put it that way for example one of my early memories when I did meet Joan that was really upsetting I just cried buckets and I couldn't say the word shed for a long time without crying but um I turned two on um, February the 28th in this particular year and on that Sunday morning I was in the back seat of the Zephyr and we were going off to church. We lived on a farm and so we had a way to go to go to church. And um, from the back seat of the car, I wanted to tell my mother what was happening to me. And very, very quickly, my father just turned around and whacked me as he did across my head and ordered me out of the car and told me to shut the internal gate and they would go off to church and I had to stay home that day. Now, I was two years old. Wow. And so you know, that repression of, oh, my gosh, if I ever try to speak my truth, this is what's going to happen to me. And so that's exceedingly frightening for a mm. child. And even as a grown woman in my 30s, when that memory came back, I still couldn't go and talk about it. I was so afraid that if I told someone that memory or whatever, that that would actually happen to me. So it's those unresolved conflicts those unresolved emotions that you've expressed really well that stay stored. And I, in my book, I've got a chapter called uh, The Brain as a Storage Unit. So the brain stores everything in there. And if it's stored, this is sort of how I express it. If it's stored as a stress, unresolved, or framed with a frame that is incorrect, then it stores in the body as eventually as an illness because it's sitting there trying to come out and speak to you because it wants to resolve itself on your behalf, mm. but it can't until someone actually does that. So at 38, Joan sat there and asked the right questions so that it did dislodge and come out and be known. But up until that date, I was storing things left, right and center, you know, throughout my body. I couldn't go and stay for weekends. You know, when I lived out in the country, I couldn't go and stay overnight the weekend and try to make a friend because I'd miss church on Sunday or I couldn't go on the school camp like everybody else because I'd miss, miss church on Sunday so you know living that contained life anger was building up I couldn't be the same as everybody else I couldn't do mm. this and if I did I'd be punished and my view of the world was so warped that this brain of mine was filling up with warped ideology and then when you've got that in there it, my belief is it then begins to lodge in the cells yes yeah. there and you repress repress and the body's going no 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 until one day for me it was an eating disorder yeah you know and the eating disorder had we known at the age of 15 was an expression of unresolved wrongly framed experiences in my life and um, abuse and all of that we could have nailed it right there and then and discovered it but for me it went on until I was 38 you know, with all of that knowledge mm. staying there and no one challenging me because I didn't know I had to be. So I think it manifests because the longer it's unresolved in there, the louder it has to speak to you through some measure. And our bodies, that's, to me, that's what mental illness, that's what illnesses are about. Yeah. Uh, they have a physical aspect when you go to heal. Yeah, you might have address your nutrition. You may have to take, you know, some tablets of some form 
but do the other work as well. Why did you end up here? What is it that's uh, stored in your brains, therefore in your body, that needs to be addressed on your behalf so we can free you from this? Yeah, it's that what happened to you? Yeah. Yes. What happened to you? Like that question so freeing, if you can yeah. answer it. Yeah. Do you what think that you and how did you take that on and how did it yeah. affect your quality world around you? How do you feel to the world? And um, for me, I found out it was pretty warped, but I believed it at the time. Now I look back and it's almost laughable. But how did I know? Yeah. Do you think the eating disorder gave you order? in a chaotic like you had no control over a lot of things but the disorder I don't know a lot about eating disorders to be honest um but like did it give you order because you could count whatever you needed or you yeah I didn't do the counting thing and I think that's something that's eventuated over many many years as well I've just worked Mm. with a client in New York and one of her big things was counting calories and therefore giving her skills and tools to just eat a food without wondering how many calories are in there you know I didn't do all of that I just weighed myself I had to be a certain weight and as long as I could put my arm across I was flat from hip to hip I was happy sweet that was Mm -hmm. my measure that was the only measure I used but why did what was the eating disorder about for me it was exactly that bringing control back into Mm. my life and saying look I am allowed to do this I am allowed and this is how I'm expressing it now I'm going to eat really well and I'm going to bring that. It was a level of control, but for me, it was also if, because this happened at 15 and I was at an area school and at 15, you know, everyone was getting boyfriends and girlfriends and all of that. And I was looking at the other girls, not that I was knowingly doing it. I think it was a subconscious doing as well. And, oh, well, she's like that. That's what, she's like that. She, oh, so if I change my hair and I change my weight and I change the way I talk, and I changed the way I interact with people. So I was adopting a little bit from her and a little bit from her and a little bit yeah. from her. And I was becoming morphing into a clone that I thought would be acceptable. But it didn't, it never worked. You know, it, I still wasn't accepted. I was still the best singer for that band, but I wasn't the one that was employed in the band. Yeah. And I couldn't work out why. I was obviously the best vocalist, but you didn't employ me why and I so again I so I have to be a bit thinner maybe if I look a little so I'll change my hair you know it was I was always looking for what was wrong with me that I wasn't being accepted by my um, peers around me you know when you just weren't being yourself like you weren't allowing your true self to come forward well that's right but then you know and I can look back on my story now and say well what hope did I have because yeah. I, you know, right from the word go, from being born, it was bang. You know, I was like my daughter. I was a very, I should have been a performer, entertainer. I should have been my daughter. And yes, Kimberly, I know, make it a lot easier for you in that world of performing once you got there. <laughs> Open the doors for you, but you've done it really well on your own, girl. But yeah, whenever I danced or sang or did all those, you know, so from a very early age, I was chopped down. Yeah. You know, and my, my siblings were as well. There was a code of conduct and we had to fit it. And then, of course, once I started to grow up and I got to, you know, age 10, 11, 12, certainly my teenage years, I remember being at uh, Port McDonald, a crayfishing village, and towards the end of that time, I came out and I'd walk, you know, the length up to the bus stop. And um, a couple of houses up, this guy called Ian Perryman, uh, you won't listen to this, Ian, so it won't matter. Um, <laughs> And um, he came out on his bike as he always did. He used to come out on his bike and zoop. But for some reason this day he stopped. And for the rest of the time I lived down at Port McDonald, he would walk with me with his bike every morning. Mm. You know, and through those childhood, well, we were about 12, conversations, what would you do on the weekend? And I would hear he went to cabarets. He did this with his parents. His parents owned their own home. They had two cars. They swore. They drank. They had lots of money. All of these things that I'm sitting there going, and I'd look at his house every morning and I'd go, how come they're not being punished for swearing? How come they're not being, they're not allowed to drink? You know, got yeah. all the big whoopee stick. And so that was when, and I called that in my book, Crayfish and Confusion, because that's when the confusion about life really hit me hard. It was like, but you can do all of that, but I can't. What is the difference here? 
you know, and then, of course, when I went up to Kimber and I lived there for three years, that confusion just grew and grew and grew. And then I must have interpreted at some stages, okay, I have to change myself. And all of those things that came in, I need to get control back and I need to change myself so I don't get punished and I, you know, who knows? I'd have to go back to that 15-year-old and get back in her body and say, okay, what are you really thinking here? You know, but, um, yeah, eating disorders, I think, are a manifestation of you're not being in control in your life or trauma or someone controlling you heavily and all of those things. And that's the nitty-gritty that I want to get to when I work with clients. And my New York client, it was evident immediately, straight away, boom, it was there. And by the end of my time working with her, yeah, she said, I've never been asked these questions before. I've been this line of inquiry and now it just gives me so much more understanding. And that's when you know that a different line of inquiry, not only eating disorders, every mental illness needs to be developed. <laughs> Sometimes you just want to be seen. And that's, that's the difference when someone sees you and can see all the internal struggle that you have, mm. it can just make such a difference. When you haven't been seen as a child for who you are, for mm. someone to actually recognise that, it's huge. Yeah, it is. But if you look at my story, if I, you know, seen, but for me it was being heard as well, mm. seen and heard. But as you and I now know, well, you know now, Gara, from, you know, chatting before we started recording, um, even in my mid-50s when I finally presented it to my mother, you know, my whole story in gamut because I was protecting her fiercely because I thought she didn't know. To find out that she knew, what hope would I have had as a 15-year-old had the story come out then? You know, I still wouldn't have been heard. So, yeah, sometimes that level of denial from the people that should not give you denial is another hurdle, you know, that we face that can drive you deeper into an eating disorder or your OCD or whatever it is that's, that's happening for you. Yes, yeah. you have to just draw yours. You can't rely on others. You can only rely on you and yeah. confide in those people who've lived it before you. They're the only ones that will get you and understand you and won't go and roll their eyes. You know, there's that little bit of a roll of an eye and you know they're not with you. Yes, <laughs> the old eye roll. Yes. <laughs> um, you've mentioned that you've got anxiety and migraines and OCD. How do you manage oh. and chronic fatigue? The list, you know, everyone has a list. Yeah. Can I just qualify that though? Because mm. um, I don't have suicidal depression. I don't have OCD now. Those okay. I have left behind a long time ago. Well done, you. Um, yep. Yeah. And that was by being guided to look at them. You know, okay. so when suicidal depression happened, instead of going down the Google, I'd sit there with it and go, okay, what, what's your message for me? And I would just listen. And then that's what I would talk about with my psychologist, the answers that came. Yeah. So suicidal depression left, OCD left. Uh, the migraines are basically gone. Uh, on the odd occasion, I will get one now. But in so what I have left from everything that you know I've endured is yeah, there's fatigue, but it's a depersonalization. That's the big one that's still left. And um, how do I handle it? Look, I just get on with my life. No one knows it's there. It's something that's not seen. I can live. A normal life in the face of everybody else and how do I do it I've developed a very very strong mind of living only in the moment that I'm currently in yeah you know I've lived life for a long time where I had lists of you know what I had to do in a day and I'd have to get it all done and I would exhaust myself until it was finished and you know all of those and they were behaviors that came in to give me to ensure that I would get everything done to ensure, you know, that I'll get this done and I won't get told because I was always told off as a child if I didn't get something done. So, you know, I've let all of that go. There's so much that's gone. There's just this one little thing that's left. And I'm wondering if that's because I was sick for so long, you know, from yeah. the age of 15 through to 38. My poor brain. It's a long time. Pathways yeah. and all of that took an absolute beating. And I'm wondering whether at this age, those neurological pathways, I'm asking a lot of them, you know, to, to really get back to balance because unfortunately I was in that space for too long. So that's yeah. why I want to get people, you know, right at the beginning of their illnesses so that we can get you there as quickly as we can so your body doesn't get destroyed along the way. So um, that's the only one I've got left. How do I deal with it? Look, I don't, it's there, but it's not. I, I just get on with my life. I focus just on the moment I'm in. I trust that what I need to do in a day 
will get done. If it doesn't get done, it wasn't meant to be done today. I have a lot of ways of talking to myself to get keep myself going and keep yeah. myself strong and moving forward. And it's that adopted dialogue along the way that reality therapy taught me, I suppose. And it's that that keeps me living a normal as normal life as I can. And I must be doing a good job of it because no one around me, <laughs> if I try to explain something to someone, they just look at you like you're making it up. And I go, well, there's the good job, you know. Yeah. My partner, it's like, and every now and then I'll say, you just don't get it. And he does, and he'll look at me and he goes, oh, yeah, I just don't get it. And I go, and I walk away because <laughs> I could get really angry. And then I go, well, Jenny Lee, you're your own worst enemy. You're not showing it or talking about it to anyone. So how can they understand? How are they? Yeah, how can you? Yeah, how can anyone actually understand it? Yeah. But I think, and that's the other one as well, is that when you have a chronic but you want to get on with life, I don't talk about it. And I didn't talk to anybody, a select few, when I was going through all of this. So most 90% of the people that I've connected to in my life have got no idea that I've ever been ill, ever. Yeah. And I made that decision because I wanted to be as normal as I could be. And I realized that if I just drowned every day in talking about it, I would never move forward. So I always talked positive. I always focused on what was good in my life and lived that. And I never referenced what all the negative, never yeah. talked about it to the point that when I wrote my book, the lady that said to me, write your book, Jenny Lee, I'll edit it for you. And um, I said, oh, damn, okay. I gave it to her. Now, she's a long-term friend. That's um, Our boys went to kinder and right through college together. So, you know, she's been around a long time because our kids are in their 30s now. And she read the book and she came back in tears. Mm. She said, JL. And I went, what's wrong? <laughs> I had no idea. A lot of this that you talk about in this book, I knew you. How did you hide all of that from me? How did you do that? Why did you do that? <laughs> and I said, great, because that's how I wanted, to, I wanted to be normal in public. I didn't want people to, you know, uh, mollycoddle me or be sympathetic. I or, wanted to be yeah. normal because the more normal I could be, then the quicker I could get back to or having a normal life. And, I, and that's how I still live it today. I don't talk to people about it. If I'm having a bad day, nobody knows. I just get up, I live through it. I've got a very strong mind that just puts one foot in front of the other. I live right in that very moment, what's happening right now. I don't care what's five minutes, half an hour away. I don't care. It will take care of itself. It will come to me when it's meant to. And uh, so a lot of those sorts of ways of coping mm. is how I get through, you know, living with that or anything that I do in life you know the pedantic I'm going to have a dinner party oh my god three weeks of earning and you know and outlining and outlining and making sure and all through the night making it's just it will happen yeah. and I just get up and I just start doing it and I just do it yeah. and because it will always work out you know and if it doesn't no one's actually going to hit me or <laughs> if not you just sort of take away if your dinner party doesn't work yeah. out if you yeah. Right. yeah I just want to acknowledge you Jenny Lee I think the strength that you show is just incredible. Like for everything that you've been through and you've dealt with and you've just come through it all with just, you know, being present in the moment I think is just the biggest gift that you could give yourself having been through all everything, your journey. Um, I hate the word journey, but I just want to acknowledge you. Yes, and, I hate the word journey. And authentic. Yeah. Are we over-authentic? Yeah. <laughs> but I just I just think it's amazing and the fact that you're now able to tell your story and put your work out to people is you know testament to what all the work you've done all the therapy all the everything like that to turn what would have been what's is a negative is now a positive well that's right and I think you know you're another one you know I could well, I will credit you as well because, you know, I know a little bit about you, meeting you for the first time today and hearing, you know, glimpses of your story as well. And then if we go to your website, A Chronic um, Entrepreneur, you know, all of those people, uh, we could both be sitting here acknowledging for the same reason. You know, Some kick-ass people. Something. Yeah. Oh, there are. And sometimes I do wish that people who haven't suffered or have had enjoyed health all their life could just get inside my body for one day. Yeah. <laughs> And then 
you want to stay there? No, I didn't think you would. Yeah. How do you get it? You know, yeah. that's the only way to have someone understand. Um, well, the only way is we talk about it. That choice. Yeah. yeah, we talk about it. And it's somewhere in our lives that we've made that choice to either sink or swim. And yeah. um, swimming is really the only alternative if you want to have some sort of resemblance of life and, and quality of life, you know. Totally. And luckily for me, I did have two little children and I didn't want to leave them, you know, yeah. and I also wanted to change the pattern for their lives. Yes. As well. So change the narrative. Jane. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we've lost her from this planet now, but um, I've changed the narrative. Thank you for that. <laughs> Great way of expressing it, mm. you know, for my children. And also, I've got to say, as a teacher, the number of students as well, because I took reality therapy into the classroom, and that was noted by other teachers, and certainly by parents, and by a lot of students. So it's sort of a valuable platform of knowledge to have and foundation, you know, when you go into those arenas as well. So well, isn't home ec life um, skills? Like, like well, think of the life schools that you gave them, you know. Well, yes and no. Let's just jump on that soapbox for a tiny minute. Unfortunately, um, you know, because through home economics, I've taught sex ed as well and relationships and all of those important skills, and it is being lost from the curriculum, the Australian curriculum. We're gradually losing it, but it's never, ever taken seriously. And yeah. it's been a frustration of all of us teachers that go into that arena. Okay. Um, yeah. because we know the importance of life skills moving forward. I don't care how much takeaway you can get or Uber you can get or whatever else you do, let everything <laughs> around you do everything for you in this day yeah. and age. But trying to teach those important areas of connection and looking after yourself and feeding yourself and living healthily, I mean, I've just copped it. And I still cop it today at my age, you know, in, in my social arena. You know, the, the odd comment will come through about eating healthily and all of that. I talked with my daughter-in-law, who's a chiropractor recently, and the frustration she feels around that, mm. you know, it's not taken seriously. And home ec is not taken seriously. I was, oh, you're the home, oh, right, yeah, okay. You're a home but ec calculus, I mean, yeah. who uses calculus? Exactly. <laughs> really, but, um, that's not a life skill. That's not a life yeah. skill that's needed by 99% of the population. Yeah. But everyone needs to eat. Well, cool. that's right. And um, look at every, your finances. Yeah, you know, all that yeah. stuff. And every healing modality has a portion that should be given to nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. Because if your body's failing, you're failing it somewhere in what you're feeding it. I'm sorry, you just yeah. are. <laughs> and you need to address that as well. But, you know, that's when you get the roll, guys. Yes. <laughs> and, oh, dear. And, um, yeah, but it's interesting. I just know that if I didn't eat like I did, I wouldn't be here today. My body would have completely folded yeah. and gone under, I think. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a huge soapbox. I've got something. <laughs> I think we end up with soapboxes when we go through these yeah. lives. Yes. But, um, yeah, I just wish the world would listen to, to so yeah. much of this wisdom that we gain and that we have. But, but, you know, it's the same old thing, but I'm healthy and well. I don't need to know. My life's okay. Until it um, isn't. Why? Until it isn't. And then, you know, <laughs> then it takes a while even then for people to not rely on tablets or whatever. And Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, hopefully gradually the world will change its view on what health really is about. Hopefully. You know, well, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so I've got three questions I ask everyone at the end. Yes. Yep. Okey so what are you looking forward to over the next six to 12 months? Oh, look, um, I'm really looking forward to and I'm going to be really positive to my business opening, for the doors to my business really opening and yeah. um, for, gaining, for gaining clients that want to go down this road that, that I went down that sort of, you know, what I've achieved come through the door. I want for myself to become acknowledged. Sounds a bit big-headed, doesn't it? But I'm going to say it like this. No, I want to be acknowledged. Okay. I want... I want to be acknowledged as an entrepreneur and as someone who's got credibility in this industry and therefore someone that clients will want to come to. And for all the programs that I've written, my seven programs, and um, my Zoom webinars, which I created this year, ready to, you know, for people that might live a distance away or out in the country and they can't get what they think is quality uh, support, I'd love to see those clients come into my Zoom room. Yeah. Um, so that aspect of it. 
I would love public speaking to open up, for the doors of that to open up. I, you know, have done it a little bit and it's always been well received. So um, I think all of us that have had these lives have got credibility to add to that platform and via that platform as well. So I'd love to see those doors open. And I would love for my book uh, and the second one, which will be due out early in the new year as well, to gain momentum. And once again, I'm sounding really big headed, but I'm drawing from those people that have already read it and have given me feedback. And I'm yet to get anything negative. Every one of them has been, oh my God, why haven't you been an author all your life? And this information needs to get out. And when you get that feedback and when you preempt it with, give me the truth, I don't want rubbish, I want the absolute truth from you so I can learn and grow. And that's what you get back. Again, it fills you with confidence that you've got something to offer. So I'd like to see my books get out there into the hands of the people that would benefit, you know, from connecting with what I've got to share there. So that's yep. what I'd like to see. I'd well, like I wish see, that for you as um, well. Yeah. So that's probably about it from yeah. an entrepreneurial point of view is really yeah. only and connecting. The other thing is connecting with like-minded people. So I've really enjoyed connecting with you today, Daryl, because you know, you've got to step outside of your social group and even your family arena because they just don't get it. Sorry, people, they just don't. Yeah. And, you know, mix with people that are on the same path as you so you get that um, growth within yeah. yourself, within the yeah. industry that you want to step into and so that they can support and help you grow and teach you things as well. And yeah. I want to connect with a lot more of those people over the next 12 months. Yeah. Amazing. That'd be great. Um. Mm. All right, so if you could have a dinner party and invite anyone alive or dead, who would you invite? Who would you sit on either side of you and what food would you choose? Would you serve? Oh, the answer to that is simply my children. I mean, yep. I probably figure in being asked that question, you know, that people would say, oh, we're on Oprah or this, that, the other. But um, I would just, you know, as a mother as a single mother with my children, when I spent a lot of those years just in bed or using the wall to walk around and all of those sorts of things, I missed out on so much of their lives. So, and because my daughter's lived away for 18 years and she's coming home, she and her husband are coming back to Adelaide. Aww. I just want to spend as much time. So I would have my son one side with his partner and my daughter the other side with her husband. And, um, you know, just, and thankfully, you know, they eat like I do. And just really healthy, nutritious foods, you know, served up for us and just have a really great family connection type conversation. And, um, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing in life? Where are you going? Where are you up to now? And when are the grandchildren coming? Those sorts of important questions. Yeah. Um, that would be the priority, you know, for me. I guess if we step outside of the family arena, I don't really know people at the moment um, to sort of name to you. but those people that I guess would take my message on and on board and help me spread it, you know, yeah. it'd be lovely to have those like-minded people around the table and, and just conversing, how can we help each other and support each other to get this important message out? Yeah. But no one in particular comes to mind at the moment. So, <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Yeah. A lot of people say family because most people haven't been able to have family for so long now that, yeah. you know, that's the important bit. So last question yeah. is what piece of art, so something that someone else has created, music, books, anything that has had an impact you or gotten you through the last 12 months or so? Yeah, I would say Alicia Young, and I know I've referenced Alicia already um, in mm -hmm. our recording here, but Alicia Young, we haven't, I'll just say quickly who she is. She's the number one Amazon author and she's got, over 20 award-winning books to her name and she's a global journalist and all of those wonderful things, public speak and all of that. And I was very, very fortunate to have the gift of her coming into my life when she saw my book on someone's table and wanted to uh, meet me. And learning from her, um, I'm very spiritual, she's very spiritual and so we have those type of conversations yeah. about past lives and dreaming and all of those things that have come into my life that I would have just boohooed once. But once you experience, you can't just leave it at the door. So <laughs> she has taught me so much about life. And she's also been very supportive in um, who I am 
as an entrepreneur moving forward and pointing out the qualities that she sees in me that I can build on. And so she's helping me build on those as well. So she's been a great person. She's helped me revamp the grammar within my book to make it industry ready. So I've learned an enormous amount from her. So she's kept me sane. She's kept me going. And she's been my support and I know will be an ongoing support for the rest of my life. So if you want to know more about Alicia Young, www.alicia young google her you'll see her there and um she's a wonderful person to connect with yeah very caring very giving of her time and all the rest of it just a beautiful soul thank you for your time today this has been a fascinating conversation even for the time before we started recording um (laughs) and as we're knowing you know obviously you're recording and wanting to hear me but there's so much more I could learn about you as well in a similar conversation yes totally days later oh let's go home (laughs) maybe we should have dinner one day yeah (laughs) yes when you can come and I don't have to isolate because you know you might have carried it in here from (laughs) that's right I have monthly COVID tests now anyway so yeah 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 so Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Chronic Entrepreneur. If this episode resonated with you, please hit subscribe or share this with a friend who may be wrestling with their own chronic illness issues. If you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd like to follow us on social media or sign up for our newsletter to find out about any events we have coming up, please head to our website at chronicentrepreneur.com. I look forward to bringing you another chronic entrepreneur next week. Bye for now.